SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Tank Green, a man who did not open the show flow before this began, so who knows how it's going to go. Joining me as always this week is uh, our science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. It's going great. You did it good so far. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz, Hello. who writes the show flows. Yeah, and I'm a little worried now. Continue. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> but this is the thing. When you don't know what the future holds everything can go totally off the rails. And so what you need is to number the days. The days are numbered. We're You're, all dying. Your yeah. days are you numbered. Have a death, you have a death counter? Me too. <laughs> I love that we have sort of uh, all, mostly, um, settled on a calendar that we use that makes absolutely no sense. There's like so many better ways to do it, but we're stuck with this way and it's it's easier to stick with the way that we have than to incur the costs of changing to a better calendar. Yeah, we argue about daylight savings time. We don't argue about December. No, but we should. We should. It's ridiculous to have 
a bunch of months that have 30 days, a bunch of months that have 31 days, and one month that has 28 days. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Did some monk do this to us? Is how it happened? That was a lot of people added up. There was a period of time. This is my favorite calendar trivia. There was a period of time with, <laughs> when, when, we, when we only had 10 months. You know, yeah. like December is currently the name makes sense. Month. Yeah. And yeah. And that, and that makes no sense that it would be DEC. And October is the 10th month. Not making any sense. A bunch of nonsense occurred. But back before we introduced some of the early months that bumped all those ones later, there was winter time when it wasn't a month. What? It was just like, it's winter. We'll take a break. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I would love that. We'll get back to you when it melts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can't. there's, There's nothing to do with this time. We don't need to know when to plant. It's very cold. Are you telling me October used to be the eighth month? That's why it's called October. What the fuck? (laughs) I never thought of that. (laughs) Yeah, it's September is seven, but it's the ninth month. November is nine, but it's the eleventh month. They're all named after guys. No, that's where July, August came in, where they were the guys were like, (gasps) I I want to be in the calendar. Yeah. Oh my god, I don't know anything about anything. This is great. Thank you for teaching me. Yeah, and Monday is named after the moon, and Thursday is named after Thor. (laughs) That's fine, acceptable. Thor's Wednesday back in the is limelight, Odin. baby. We're all, yeah. We can all get behind Wednesday Thor. Wednesday is Odin for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely wild. Anyway, these are all things that you know now, but you don't need to, because what you need to know is what day of the week it is and what day of the month it is. And so you have wall calendars and you can buy wall calendars at complexlycalendars.com, which oh. I will not shut up about for as long as they are on sale. <laughs> Anyway, the people at Complexly on a various teams, so Eons, Bizarre Beasts, SciShow, SciShow Space, and Journey to the Microcosmos have been working on um, very thoughtful, well-designed, high-quality calendars that are going to do the job that you need done by calendars, but also we made them very pretty. And we put in a ton of good information because we know you like that good information. Why would you be here otherwise? And also, uh, it helps us continue to make the things that we make which we love to do now we didn't do a scishow tangents calendar which is a bummer but if we do in the future sari what should the theme be well i feel like naturally we need a your your ideas are just recycled new ideas so we could do a a tangents (laughs) animal sex calendar and just do like weird animal reproduction no that's that's really good okay the story that's is really done. Why idea. would we have any other idea? Oh, okay. we should that's have, it. We and should then have on asked the last you earlier. Of every month, we have a butt fact for you. Oh, oh a little tiny it butt could fact. Also, it could also be a butt calendar. We should have maybe asked Sari about this a few months ago. I have she... great ideas. My rate is thirty-five dollars <laughs> an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, but but you did that in like thirty-five seconds. Yeah, so, so. It, it was sense of that work. was a freebie. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was a re- you guys all get freebies because oh, you're my friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, both uh. of those are great. Oh man, I can't wait for the 2024 SciShow Tangents animal sex calendar. I don't yeah. know how much how many good animal sex photos we can find. Maybe oh, we should I'm just sure. hire an illustrator. We should get somebody out in the field taking pictures of animals having sex. Yeah. You know? I've seen so many bugs having sex and now that I'm gardening regularly. So yeah. I'll just. They're always doing <laughs> that out there. Pictures. They never stop. No. That's why there's so <laughs> many. And there's also real calendars you can go by too that exist now. 
Right. Don't just wait. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> don't just, that you'll calendar need is not going to help you this year. Yes. You still really, need a this really year confused. calendar. Yeah. 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 I have a wall calendar. It's going to run out at the end of this year. So that's right. Interesting. And the ones we're making are nicer than that, Sarah. That's oh, wow. too little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one is pretty, it's like it. a dollhouse size wall calendar yeah. on this background yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right here. This isn't like the kind of calendar that like the Nature Conservancy sends you for free because you donated to them one time. No, these are high quality, made in America, beautiful 11 and a half by 11 and a half uh, calendars. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to rebrand uh, calendars with a more fun name, maybe. Calendarinos. <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for Glory and for Hank Bucks, which I'll be awarding as we play, and at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week, from Sari. So I have a question for you both before I do my poem. Do you want a PG-13 rated poem or a G rated poem? That's a ridiculous question. <laughs> this is a concerning <laughs> question. question. No, I mean, like, I just, it's obvious. The answer is very clear to me. Is it the same poem with words omitted or is it two different poems? It's the last stanza is different. Interesting. Give us PG-13 yeah, I, first. Yeah, I want, I want this to be only appropriate for those 13 and older. Yeah. Okay. All creatures on earth, both humongous and small, with legs and eyeballs or worm-like that crawl, with spine or not, or flamboyant or drab, shark, starfish, or crab, they once were a bab. <laughs> helpless and hapless and careless, so young, tadpoles in a frog pond with newly formed lungs. Some families have thousands, like larvae for bees, but one dolphin calf joins its pod in the seas. These alien creatures show up when we fuck, and through shrewdness or toughness or just plain dumb luck, we feed and raise them and save them from predation, then kick them out of the nest. Be the next generation. <laughs> the swear scared me a little bit. It, That's it was why not what PG-13. I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed one fucking PG-13 movies. Yeah. Uh, well, you just hit two. Oh, I did say two. Now it's R-rated. <laughs> R-rated podcast. podcast. <laughs> uh, hmm. So the topic okay. for today's SciShow Tangents is babies. Just for clarity. <laughs> Babs. <laughs> As Sari yeah. said, that one, Babs also was a, threw me for a loop. Um, bab. I love uh, the Bab. Sari, what is a baby? So baby, it's after after it's popped out, then it's a baby. It's a <laughs> Yeah, or of its shell or its... Yes, of its shell, okay. of its uh, amniotic sac. Mm-hmm. We use babies colloquially to refer to plant babies or other things, but babies are pretty solidly... Like an animal stage of development. Okay. So after birth, after the hatching or the coming out of the the sac, the amniotic sac, uh, then you have an infant or a newborn, which is baby. Mm-hmm. And usually in humans, for like four weeks, you're considered it's, a it's only newborn a baby, baby for four weeks. And it's it's considered a newborn for four weeks, okay. and then question mark, then growth <laughs> sure. development. And then you're, then you, for a long time, you're not a baby until you're somebody's baby. Then you're mm-hmm. a baby again, apparently, which is a weird term of endearment. You can also nowadays to... decide that you're a baby. I'm baby, you know? I'm baby. You know what I'm talking about? What? Yeah, no. I do. I'm baby. <laughs> I'm baby. You don't know I'm baby? What's baby? You know, like Who's, when you're an adult a... and maybe you're laying on a big blanket on the sofa and you say, I'm baby. <laughs> 
I'm like, please take care of me. I'm helpless. I'm oh, cute. No, yeah, that's this is a this is a piece of slang that you have both heard. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's old slang. This is millennial slang that cool kids I'm wouldn't baby. even say. Anymore. Will you say I'm baby when you need someone to take care of you? I'm baby. Yeah. This yeah. is this is why everybody should be Gen X. <laughs> it's just easier to not have cringy stuff like that. Oh no. <laughs> Oh. I'm baby. Yeah. That's what you would say. I'm baby. Bring me a hot cocoa. Yeah. Or like, yeah. I'm baby. Call 911. I don't know. Like, that's a meme that I've seen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If, like, you're, so, if you're feeling like you're lazy, then that's, a, uh-huh. that's an I'm baby uh, situation. Okay. Baby. I feel caught up now, but I really was all the way behind. <laughs> that, I, that, I, that is not familiar to me. When you were, it was probably when you were having a baby, then that's when yeah, I'm that baby it. happened. Yep. yep. And then TikTok came back and we you skipped right over I'm baby. Yeah. Now I'm listening to Young Gravy all the time. I don't even, I saw a picture of Young Gravy yesterday. I was like, who the, who the hell is Young Gravy? That's what I, I know. Same I, feel, I saw a picture of Young Gravy the other day and I was like, wow. I don't know why that works, but it sure does. <laughs> Yeah, it got it got on my uh, my news feed. Young gravy and someone's mom. Yes, and Addison Ray's She's mom went to the VMAs mom. together. Yeah, yeah. he's baby. He's baby. <laughs> he is baby. He is baby. <laughs> so, this podcast is not about young gravy. Um, I think that it's fair. Like, definitely, we got a, a vibe around what a baby is, but it's not entirely clear, and it's never going to be. Do we know where the word baby comes from? It seems like an old one. It is an old one. Uh, it's of uncertain origin, like so many wow. of the words. But we think mm-hmm. it is probably uh, like a baby babbling. Like they just heard the oh, noise sure. that a baby makes. So kind of like a Pokemon. Pikachu says Pikachu. And then they were like, ah, that's your name, I guess. Uh, and so babies sure. went, ba 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 And they were like, ba 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 Baby. You must be a baby. Yeah. <laughs> you must be a baby. <laughs> you must be a baby. What are you uh-huh. trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> Do all Pokemon say their own name? Yes. Some, there's some exceptions. There's some exceptions. And in the game, Mewtwo games, can they talk, don't. for instance. He can yeah. speak full English. <laughs> uh, does he, but does he say Mewtwo when he like does a move? No. He would say, Hi, I'm Mewtwo, and shake your hand. He'd right. probably say, respect, like, yes. bow to me, human, also. Mewtwo's yeah. pretty. Oh, doesn't sound very nice. But mostly, yeah, they all say that. I would names. think that Mr. Mime probably doesn't say anything. I think he does. He say, says he says Mr. Mime. I think he does. And that he does seem like Ash's a missed opportunity. Also, like Young Gravy. And Wait, he Ash- dates whose mom? Ash's mom? Well, there's some subtle implication <laughs> that a- that Ash and Mr. Mime are in love, or Ash's mom and Mr. Mime. Are, are you in telling love. me that Mr. Mime has Young Gravy energy, or that Young Gravy has Mr. Mime energy? Young Gravy young- has Mr. Mime energy. For <laughs> Mr. Mime sure. had stepdad energy he before was anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. This is great. I feel great, everybody. Babies are Pokemon. <laughs> Mr. Mime is Young Gravy. Uh-huh. And now we're going to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, we're going to be playing a baby's truth or fail. So life is a baby. It seems like it's pretty great. Mm. Uh, I'm baby. Yeah. You don't have to worry about things <laughs> like taxes or adult responsibilities. You just get put down and you stay there and you focus on what matters. Food and sleep. Except... Of course, the world is full of many dangers. Oh, the following are three stories of those dangers experienced by babies of various animals, but only one of these stories is true. Which one is it? Are you ready to hear about scary baby life? I guess so. Yeah. 
Don't worry, it's not too bad. Okay. Story number one, naked mole rats live in colonies that can have up to 300 workers in them. They're like ants, but they're rats. And while researchers used to think that the size of those colonies was the result of lots of inbreeding, they now suspect another factor, kidnapping. Naked mole rat colonies will sometimes invade other naked mole rat colonies and take some of their pups in the process and turn them into workers for their colonies. But it might not be that one. It might be hmm. story number two, which is that the Baltic comb jellyfish reproduce by releasing hundreds of eggs and sperm into the water. The eggs and sperm will then find each other and fertilize and hatch into jellyfish larvae. But not all of the larvae are meant to live. A fraction of the eggs will hatch into a more simplistic form that can't develop into a more advanced jellyfish, and it will act as a decoy, luring predators into eating them instead of their siblings that could actually uh, develop into a adult mm. jellyfish. Or it could be story number three. Pandas gestate their babies only for a month, and when they are born, the babies are tiny and underdeveloped for the first days of their life. Their fragile appearance in the first few days means that they can sometimes just look like they're dead, when in fact they are just sleeping, sometimes leading parents to accidentally abandon them because they think they are dead. Is it story number one, naked mole rat pups get kidnapped for work, story number two, decoy jellyfish babies are offered up to predators to save the rest, or story number three, panda, ba <laughs> panda babies accidentally play dead so well that they just get left behind. They're That's just sleepy. Such a panda thing to do. That seems like they a are panda thing. a mess. Yeah, aren't they? they aren't doing anything right over there. So yeah, you know, pandas Gosh. got the name because when they walk around, they go panda, 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 panda. <laughs> yeah, it's really easy to name animals. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, jellyfish just go jellyfish, jellyfish, jellyfish. jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> and naked mole rats. That was a wild yeah. one. Yeah. They're like naked mole rats. <laughs> yeah. They say a when whole sentence. When uh -huh. scientists first discovered naked mole rats, and they're like, "What should we call these?" Naked and mole rats. And naked mole rats look them directly <laughs> into the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one is one where I. F this is the first time in a long time I felt like all three of them are true. I couldn't possibly. They feel start really real, to don't they? Yeah. Unravel this whole situation. Mm -hmm. But the panda babies one just seems like so real. Uh, the naked mole rat one, I'm not confident enough in knowing anything about how naked mole rats work to guess that that is right. They have. Uh, we've talked previously, yep. I think, on this podcast about mm -hmm. the fact that naked mole rats have queens. Right. It's mm -hmm. like a queen rat. <laughs> mole or um, i think it's a rat and uh the they have like that that gives birth to all the colonies all the colonies babies and everybody like takes care of her and right um so they are ant ant like mm -hmm. i'm going with decoy jellyfish babies because i think that it seems like a thing they would do poop out some real eggs poop out some fake eggs eat the fake eggs ha 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 my babies will survive okay here's my new theory pandas okay. don't go far enough away to abandon their babies. Do they have a big range? Do they just stay where they are? Who knows? I agree with decoy jellyfish babies. Oh. Oh, you're still going with Sari. Yeah. Well, this week we were too clever for you both because Dang. it was the naked mole rats. Mm. Wow. That seems so much meaner than I would attribute to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they, they have like a colony with lots of workers and the one queen, she could produce 30 pups each litter, which is wild. But while research with captive mole rats found that sometimes they expand their colony by kidnapping pups from other colonies, this pup napping had not been seen in the wild until researchers started following marked uh, and tracked mole rats in Kenya's Maru National Park. And the researchers found that colonies would sometimes expand into areas of neighboring colonies, essentially invading those colonies, and the mole rats 
from the invaded colony would usually like retreat into a further part of the nest or just leave altogether, I guess, and hope to find a new home. But well, as the researchers kept tracking the colonies, they found that there were a few pups from the invaded colonies living amongst their invaders as workers, leading wow. them to conclude that the pups had been kidnapped and put to work. This would make the naked mole rats more similar to ants than we even thought, because some species of ants will steal larvae and pupa from other species what? to make them work in their own colonies. They will? Yes. Yes. Not like not like competitors of the same species, but other species of ant. Uh, but this behavior in mole rats has only been observed a few times, so we don't know how widespread it is. Huh. Uh, jellyfish, um, this is not what happens, but they do... Um, just as Sari was saying, have a tremendous number of babies. And of mm. course, almost all of those babies get sort of eaten up by things. Um, but when there are these sort of like boom and bust cycles, the adult jellyfish seem to do fine. And a 2008 report um, indicates why, which is that during the, the busts, the babies uh, will get to a certain size. And there won't be anything around for the adult jellyfish to eat, so they will eat the baby jellyfish that have started to succeed. And they'll be like, thank you for collecting your own food for a little while in this messy, difficult moment. Now I'm going to eat you. Uh, they've like... even done like in laboratory research experiments where they let, yeah. uh, where they sort of like have adults and babies and the adults just completely eat every single one that is available. Wow. Just like boomers, yeah. am I right? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, and the panda babies you are right that uh pandas give birth to useless little pups and they make lots of mistakes um in in their in their lives but they have they they have never been documented thinking a baby is dead and leaving it behind oh, the babies uh, are born really really early and need their moms for basically everything they they nurse 14 times a day they need their moms in order to go to the bathroom. Like literally, they need to be like stimulated to to get their oh, like, no. strong enough muscles to poop. Oh yet. no! Yeah, that's really they can be cute. like shocked into pooping, oh. so they like get their muscles <laughs> going, and then they're like, "Oh, a little poop came out." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to surprise them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, oftentimes panda babies do not have great uh, outcomes. But this is not why. So congratulations. On both of you for being tied. Next up, we're going to take a short break. <laughs> then it'll be time for the fact off. Social Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services. These things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast as aspersions? Dispersions? Yeah. Aspersions. One of those. Aspersions. Yeah. But it does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm -hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> you want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah. That yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's, there's a constant drain on the on bean. The bean. That... <laughs> 
<laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, <laughs> Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users, and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. All right, everybody, it's time for the fact off. Our panelists have all brought science facts in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Using data gathered by 538 from the U.S. National Center for Health Statistics and the U.S. Social Security Administration, the data journalist Matt Stiles compi- compiled... The data journalist Matt Stiles compiled... Uh, compi- Matt, Matt Stiles, Stiles compiled... compiled. A ranking of the most popular birthdays between the years of 1994 and 2014. The least popular birthday was December 25th. What month and day were the most popular? It's almost my birthday, so I'm going to say September mm-hmm. 24th. I'm going to also say my. there were a lot of kids at my birthday in my classes. Yeah, May, me too. May 24th. Sam said September 24th, which was remarkably close to the actual day, which is September 9th. Wow. Congratulations. January, huh? January, huh? People just get... (laughs) (laughs) It's gold. (laughs) Apparently. And it's interesting that December 25th is least popular because that indicates not that that's the least popular day for babies to get born, but people are like, can you just mark it down as the 26th, please? Like, I don't want my baby to be born on Christmas. Yeah, you're right. Try to hold it in till the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or maybe i guess c-sections probably don't aren't often scheduled on the 25th that's also ah, true big day off there's a lot of yeah. a lot of confounding factors here yes mm-hmm. i like that better as the explanation than holding it in <laughs> everybody wait okay, this one's for jesus you can't <laughs> You can't take that from him. <laughs> Interestingly, Sam, of the top 10 birthdays, nine of them were in September. Mm-hmm, September mm-hmm. birthdays uh, very, very generally correspond to conception periods around the winter holidays when people maybe have a little bit less to do. Yeah. Aren't so Stuck busy. in the house. Stuck in the house. Uh, so it's so that means that Sam gets to decide who goes first. Sam, what do you think? I'll go first. This might just be my own bias, but the 90s felt like a real boom period for classical music and popular culture. Often it was the butt of the joke, shorthand, and stuff like TV shows for out-of-touch elites, such as Fraser Crane. But oh, okay. hell, 
If you could be guaranteed to have a baby Fraser Crane, wouldn't you do it? I mean, he's an extremely popular talk show host, not to mention mm-hmm. he has a PhD in psychology and he's yep. a published author. And his apartment is dope. It's great apartment. It's a great apartment. <laughs> yeah. And he loves his dad. Which brings us to another touchstone of 90s culture. Pregnant people putting big headphones on their bellies to play classical music for their unborn children in the hopes of achieving the Mozart effect, a.k.a. having a baby genius. But where did this idea come from? And did it work? Are all those 90s kids who listen to Mozart in utero regular brainiacs? As for where the idea came from, in 1993, a psychologist named Frances H. Rauscher ran a test at UC Irvine, wherein she had college students listen to one of three things while performing tests. Those three things were silence, repetitive study music, which I assume is the lo-fi hip-hop study beats of its time, and some Mozart selections. And what Dr. Rauscher discovered was that after listening to Mozart, students performed better at spatial awareness-based tasks for about 15 minutes, which... Also sounds kind of ludicrous to me. I don't really understand how that would work, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor. You know, small sample size college yeah. students. It's a good, good, good old psychology research. And that was it for the paper, basically. But uh, it was quickly picked up by such lofty publications as the New York Times, which mm-hmm. reported that classical music can improve SAT scores, was the direction oh it chose to go. <laughs> uh, and what I can only assume was a pop science game of telephone commenced ending with playing music for your baby in the womb makes for one smart baby. And even late come parents of children who were already out tried to get in on the act and classical music being played in daycares was a common occurrence and even in some states a law whoa yeah and like did it, fluoride in the water yeah they had to play one hour of classical music and did it work <laughs> there have been many studies in the intervening decades uh, and in 2010 the university of vienna performed a meta-analysis of 40 of those studies on the mozart effect and concluded that there is no evidence to support that it's a real i'm thing. shocked <laughs> Shocked. There is a bit of evidence that learning music can make kids a little bit smarter. A like, completely different like, thing. A 2014 <laughs> Entirely Harvard, unrelated. I know, I know. I'm going to say Listening to music. A 2014 Harvard study put 29 four-year-olds through a year of music lessons and recorded a 2.7 point IQ increase on average. Wow. But that That's is, as you noted, not really the same thing at all. That's just the closest that we've gotten so far. Uh, And as of 2013, more than 80% of Americans think that music could improve a child's intelligence, which just goes to show you that maybe media outlets could be a little bit more careful with their reporting. Yeah. What happens? What happens (laughs) when you put young gravy on the belly? This is the important question. Because Mozart's one thing, and I I recognize his genius, but, like, do you get... Just a six foot three dreamboat in a fur coat. Uh, I, I think knows? you get a Mr. Mime. You just, <laughs> the baby comes out. That's its first words are Mr. Mime. Mr. Mime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like this, Sam. It has a lot going for it. I like that people will believe anything and that we need to outline the times in the past when we believed anything because it makes us feel better about now when yeah. we currently still believe anything. Yeah. And and also gives us a little bit of insight Something into to point maybe to. what to look out for. Sure. Sari, what do you know about babies? <laughs> <laughs> well, like we've said, human babies are pretty helpless when they're born. They can't really move. Their skulls are squishy and fragile. And basically, they need a lot of caregiving to survive. And if they're born premature, which is before 37 weeks... They're in need of even more specialized care. In the mid-1800s, a French obstetrician named 
Dr. Stefan Tarnier is generally considered to be the first doctor to take the idea of an incubator from chicken raising applications and use it to keep premature infants warm. And in the late 1800s, Dr. Pierre Boudin built on that work to figure out other care these infants needed, like human contact and nutrition and whatnot. In fact, in 1896, Dr. Boudin showcased his work with incubators at Berlin's Great Industrial Exposition as a <laughs> Kinderbrutenstalt, or child hatchery. Uh, <laughs> and he did so with the help of an assistant named Martin Cooney. And Martin Cooney had kind of a mysterious past. He was born as Michael Cohen in Prussia, bluffed a lot when it came to his background, and worked his way into an apprenticeship in the medical field without a real degree, as far as historians have found thus far. So we're off to a great start for a guy working mm -hmm. with well, medicine We're going to get double dubious today. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But after that first exhibit, he found his calling in what one historian called quote, vigilante medicine. Oh, no. <laughs> became known as... He, he snuck around with Mozart tapes and he played them for babies. <laughs> and he became known as the incubator doctor, creating neonatal intensive care units, or NICUs, around Europe and the United States for exhibitions, fairs, and carnivals through the 1940s. And one of his most famous exhibitions was a more permanent installment at the Coney Island Boardwalk in New York State called the Infantorium, which followed the same business model as the rest of them. There's a business model? There's What's a business the business model? model? He imported the latest French incubators because they had been working on technology the longest with a careful temperature and filtered air regulation. He had a paid staff of nurses who lived on okay. site for 24-hour care and many collaborations with American doctors who had medical degrees and accreditation. He charged visitors 25 cents each to wander through and see the premature what? infants being cared for as that was the marvel. Was it like... Where was, was it outside? Was it like a storefront? It was like what? on the boardwalk of Coney Island or something? Yeah, it was on the boardwalk. So it was just like they, a building that you walk in. It was in. like a banana stand but yeah. with babies. You can walk in one and see some sword swallowers and then you walk in another and you see some babies. What? Uh, because I'm, everyone Where did the babies come from? Well, I'm getting there. Uh, <laughs> so the babies came from families, obviously, uh, who had uh, premature babies and he didn't charge any of them for this top-notch medical care and didn't discriminate about what babies he took in. Okay. And so... I don't know whether to like this guy or not. That's how I feel, too. As wild <laughs> as this whole thing is, and he was criticized for being a quack doctor or putting babies in a carnival alongside fire eaters, this free care was really, really important at the time because a lot of the sick or premature infants that came to Cooney were rejected by U.S. hospitals. So in the early 1900s, they didn't have the staff or the equipment for round-the-clock neonatal care. Or when hospitals started acquiring maybe one incubator, it wasn't as high quality or robust as the ones uh -huh. that he imported. He had the best of the best. He had the best wow. of the best. And they didn't have NICU wings, and it was way too expensive for parents to afford months of care for their children. So Cooney offered a last-ditch effort for survival. And by some estimates, of the 8,000 or so babies that ended up in Cooney's care over the years, over 6,500 survived. They grew up into adults who have, in some cases, retold their stories. And science communicators like, like I us. loved it back there. It was great. They gave me Dr. Pepper. <laughs> there was a, there was a fire juggler. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
<laughs> Some kind of people come and look at the babies. So it was funded by people wanting to look at a little tiny premature baby. Yes. Yeah. It was fully funded by people paying their quarters and their nickels and dimes to just go look at tiny babies. And then that was able to fund a full staff of really high quality medical care at the time. And how many of these were there? The permanent exhibit was in New York, but he did a okay. lot across the U.S. There was like one at the Chicago's World Fair. He well, did it for, when they're not permanent, where did the babies go when it closes? Back to the families. I think he would only take in a certain mm. amount. And then when they mm. were done or if in like the 1500 cases where they died of whatever, um, yeah. or when they were old, like stable enough, they would just go back to the families. Like any NICU. Okay, wow. that's well, that's very weird. He did not have a medical license, and the people thought he was a bit quacky. Yeah. But it was good treatment. Yeah, so that was what's weird. He's told everyone he had a medical license. It is only yeah. recently that historians have tried to dig back and like can't find a degree in his name or a thesis in his name anywhere across Europe. American doctors collaborated with him but didn't recognize him formally in a lot of their publications because they were like this guy is clearly doing important obstetrician type work but also public organizations are like this is cruel to the babies and they're the public Why opinion is it of cruel it to the babies? i don't know just people are just because everybody's looking at them everyone's looking profiting at them. off of them yeah uh, did he, did but he, he wasn't make profit. Money? Yeah, he didn't was make he? money. Yeah, he made enough money to be able to continue to like build these exhibitions. Other, but places did he build? Did he build like a lake house? Did he like get like a mansion in the heights? I don't think so. He ended up poor and old, which is why he quit when he was like seventy years old, uh, because he would recoup the costs when there were mm. like disasters at as there were at carnivals. But I don't think he ever like, for example, there was. <laughs> Uh, Wait a second. Okay. <laughs> as there are, with the, as there are at carnivals, when there were, di- di- wh- wh- I'm terrified. Do I want to know about the disaster? No, I All don't. All 1,500 babies who didn't make it, <laughs> when the Coney Island caught on fire. <laughs> one of them did catch on fire. Uh, one of the, but apparently no babies died there. I don't have the article Great. up. It's in the sources. Great. But one but it of was the expensive. Yeah, it was expensive because he just lost all the money and yeah. some of the reputation of it. And so when he was 70 years old and he was he was poor and destitute, he built a little building on the boardwalk and he put his own body into a ventilator. <laughs> and, do it, and he just had people paid nickel to come look at him. See in. an old guy. Hey, look at this old guy. <laughs> uh, I'm baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he invented I'm baby. Yeah. <laughs> he was the first one. Wow. I formally retract my fact. I mean, yes, Sam, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is, they're both very good and they're both in a similar vein. Um, I, I, and I do kind of want to, like, I want people to hear the story of Mo- of baby Mozart. Well, I'm baby keeping Mozart. it in the podcast, so. Oh, well, yeah, 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 this is true. <laughs> but maybe it's a, um, maybe it's a sideshow. I like, I, I feel like, I feel like we need to talk more about like collective delusions. Yeah, that's so a that good we can, idea. Like, because often I will be like, oh no, that's fake. To a thing that like is happening right now. Yeah. And people are like, how do you know? And I'm like, I got a vibe. <laughs> I've heard a lot of these stories before. Say it out loud to yourself. <laughs> Listening, having a baby listen to music <laughs> makes us smarter. No. Yeah. No. Doesn't make and particularly one Guy. Austrian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope Mozart was Austrian 
Anyway, <laughs> Sari is the winner of this week's episode of Sasha Tangents. <laughs> Which means that it's time to ask the science couch uh, where we've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Sam, what's the question? Asia 0543814 asks, <laughs> human baby skulls are just plain weird when they mm. are born. Yes. Are there any other species that have strange birth-related adaptations to help them have a smoother birth? Yeah, I, I would guess yes. I think that, but I think that human baby skulls are somewhat unusual. In human their... head size is a, is a somewhat yeah. unusual, right? Yeah, it, it seems a little bit like the size of a person's head is limited by, like, there's like an evolutionary battle between how to get a baby's head out of a person, and right, and, and the, the size, size of the head of a baby's head can be. Um, so it's like, how smart can we be? How big can the hole in a pelvis be? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I can tell, I I couldn't find anything with the the amount of mm. skull squishiness. Whether yeah. it's like it the seems like a bad, bad idea. Like you wouldn't want a baby to have a squishy skull. Yeah, and it's like like you said, a particularly human thing. In in just we don't understand a lot about birth canal size, baby size, why our babies are so premature. I don't know. Like why humans we do better need than help. pandas though. We do better mm-hmm. than we pandas. Less, <clears throat> but we need we need help to deliver babies. Like you can't super well deliver a baby by yourself. Uh mm-hmm. and that's unusual for other animals too. Like they can just yeah. pop one out and mostly they could and they just fall like a giraffe baby just falls all eight feet to the ground and is like and it mom. just gets up and goes <laughs> on its way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then it says giraffe, giraffe, giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> But the idea of softness to not hurt the baby or the the pregnant animal is a theme among uh, animal mm. babies. Which so a- babies are soft. Babies are generally soft or have weird soft bits that you wouldn't would maybe not expect. Um, so a couple that I found. I'm sure there there are more, but this is a surprisingly hard thing to Google, and I yeah. am not an animal. I'm not a zoologist, but I'm sure people who work with animals regularly know, have more examples. So um, in hoofed animals, you see this a lot with pictures of horses um, because those are one of the most extreme examples. They're called or nicknamed fairy fingers or golden slippers. <gasps> but really any hoofed animal like pigs or cows oh. <laughs> have what's called a deciduous hoof capsule. It's also called an epinicium. Uh, which is the name for a piece of skin on our fingers too, but it's just like a, a, a kind of gooey, keratinous structure on top of the hoof so that the hard keratin of the hoof doesn't puncture the the birth canal. They're like they don't like kick around. That is the worst thing about horses. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so and horses are more extreme. Like you can find them for pigs or or calves or things like that, and they're. Less well, like boxing extreme. gloves for babies. Yeah. And then they dry out within a couple hours and kind of fall off. So they're just there for the birthing process to keep keep everything squishy, soft, safe. And similarly, porcupines or other species with keratinized oh. quills, their mm-hmm. quills are soft. They're there when they're babies. They're born with squishy quills. That they're born seems, with squishy that quills. That seems prudent. That yeah. then yes, harden that's how I once would exposed want it to, be. to air. Yeah, because you don't want to puncture 
the inside of the birth canal. Just opening the SciShow pitch doc here, how do baby mm-hmm. porcupines get born? Any human being would click on that. Yeah. yeah. They're also called porcupets, which is very cute. Oh. We love it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, the best thing about porcupines. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, this is fantastic. <laughs> I got like three SciShow ideas just now. <laughs> if you want to ask the Science Couch your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShow Tangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week, or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to at Copper Griffin, Ariel the Biologist, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. First, tell people specifically about this episode, which is the <laughs> best episode of SciShow Tangents. You can also go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash SciShow Tangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. You can also leave us a review wherever you listen. It's super helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell tell people people about about us. us. Can I, wait, I gotta hop in real quick. Yes, sir. It's almost Halloween by the time this airs, but you're not going to want to miss Halloween. You're going to want to trust me on this one. We got some good surprises for you. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our editor is Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Debucky Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Seagulls are notoriously not picky about what they eat, scavenging everything from living whale skin to ice cream cones. And after observing South American fur seal pups for five years in Chilean Patagonia, I don't like where this researchers is going. <laughs> found that two species of gulls were to blame for a common butt injury. The gulls accidentally, <laughs> accidentally, come on, attacked a bunch of two-month-old baby seals infected with hookworm because their oh. bloody, parasite-ridden diarrhea is apparently a tasty snack. The oh gulls... my god, I hear so <laughs> many science facts, Sam, and I never, I never get like a like a nauseatic response. <laughs> I don't, I like look at so many pictures of awful, th- that did it. Well, there's that's a like little the bit first more. time that's happened to me in a decade. While they're eating this diarrhea, the gulls get a little too eager, and they end up biting the baby seals' anuses and perineal regions, leaving plenty of wounded butts after their feasts. Oh, it's still affecting <laughs> me. <laughs> I just think that it's the mix of blood and diarrhea and, diarrhea. and, and worms, and worms yeah. being eaten. Yeah. And like this, like secondarily, is like the injury to the seal pup. But all now it is, it's a, it is the worst episode of SciShow. Yes. <laughs> the most undignified thing that a bird has ever done, I believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the, what is the worst thing about seagulls? There it is. <laughs>